Well, take your Bibles and open God's Word with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. We are almost through this book. We will, we've been going verse by verse, and Lord willing, next Wednesday night, we will conclude uh, the book of 1 Peter. Tonight, we're going to be looking at chapter 5, primarily verses 5 through 7. It's possible we could get verses 8 and 9. That's listed on your notes if you have a note sheet there. But primarily, we're going to focus on verses 5 through 7. Now, last week, if you were here, we talked about the qualities that a pastor needs to do his job well. We were looking at chapter 5, uh, the first section in chapter 5. And so we were talking about the things a pastor needs to do to serve others in a right way. And I'll just be honest with you, and I think I alluded to this last week. That was kind of an uncomfortable thing for me to talk about, you know, because it's more focused on me and, and our staff than it is really on you. In fact, uh, one of these... One, somebody came to me after the Bible study. I'm not going to mention who it is, but I love this lady, and I laughed. She said, you know what, that was a good study. And she paused for a second and said, for you. <laughs> and she was right. Uh, but I just want her to know, and everybody to know, tonight's study is for everyone. And the reason I say that, in verse 5, Peter actually uses the phrase, all of you. All of you. So this is going to be a very personal and a very practical study regarding two struggles that we all wrestle with from time to time. Struggle with pride and the struggle with anxiety. Peter addresses both of those issues in this section of the letter. The struggle with pride is very real. And the struggle with anxiety is just as real. So, <clears throat> take your Bibles with me. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. We're going to kind of give you the context again. Remember verses 1 through 4, we talked about last week about the elders and the pastors and all of that kind of thing and the role that they are to play, the job they are to do. Now in verse 5, as we begin a new section of the Scripture, now in verse 5, he speaks to younger men. And we really don't know if he's talking about younger in age or younger in the faith. Uh, it really is not clear, but it, honestly it doesn't matter too much because I think the lesson is the same. But here's what he says. Young men, in the same way, just like the elders, just like the pastors uh, that he talked about in verses 1 through 4. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. Uh, basically, wh what he's talking about here is this, that, okay, I I've talked about pastors, verses 1 through 4, and the role that they are to play, the job they are to do, and then a transition statement, if you will, from pastors to what we're going to talk about. He says, let me say a word to the young men, whether it's young in the faith or, or young in age. Uh, you, you need to be submissive to those who are older than you. Uh, New American Standard translates that part of the verse this way. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders. Now, when you and I were growing up, probably we were taught to respect our elders, right? Uh, you, you, you know, I heard one guy say, listen, you need to be respectful for old, to old people. They didn't get that old by being dumb. You know, be respectful to them. And in a sense, that's what Peter's talking about here. Now, he's talking about not just elders in age, but the elders or the pastors uh, in the church. 
And he says, you need to listen to the counsel of these older people, these elders, these pastors that are in your life. And be open to their reproofs and be open to following their godly examples. And then, after kind of tying all that up, then Peter broadens the application of what he's about to say with the words, all of you. So now this is where it applies to every person here and every person watching online. Here's what he says. Let's read the entire verse 5. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. So now he's not just talking to pastors. Now he's not just talking to young preacher boys, if you will. Now he's talking to all of you. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Now, that was an interesting phrase that he uses here. Clothe yourselves with humility. He didn't say be humble. He could have said it that way. But he actually says, all of you, clothe yourselves. Now, every one of you, I'm looking around, every one of you clothed yourselves when you came, before you came to church. Whether you did that this morning, this afternoon, this evening, before you left, you clothed yourselves. And that was an intentional act. Right? You, you, you didn't just happen to clothe yourself. That, that was something you thought about. Something you decided to do. It, it was an, an intentional act on your part. And Peter says, now all of you, not just the preachers, all of you, Clothe yourselves in what? Humility. Peter may have had in mind what he witnessed in, in, in John chapter 13. In fact, why don't we turn there real quickly. John chapter 13, uh, Peter was with the Lord Jesus one night when, when Jesus did something that I think had a lasting impact on Peter. And th- that may have been in his mind when he wrote these words. John chapter 13, the evening meal, verse 2, the evening meal was being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So, he got up from the meal took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Peter literally watched Jesus clothe himself with humility as he wrapped the towel around him and took the form of a servant as he began to wash the feet of Jesus. And, and if you continue to read the story, you, you know that Peter actually was objecting to what he was witnessing. But Jesus wanted to do this and said, I must do this, Peter. And, and so Peter had this burned in his mind how this man who was the Savior of the world, the Messiah, the greatest teacher he had ever seen, took off his outer garments, clothed himself with a towel or clothed himself with humility, and then bent down and washed dirty feet. I think Peter likely had that in mind when he says in verse 5, going back to 1 Peter, 
chapter 5. He says in verse 5 and in verse 6, he talks about humbling ourselves. Verse 5, he says, all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. And then he says in verse 6, humble yourselves. Now I want you to notice that in both times that phrase yourselves is listed. Clothe yourselves, humble yourselves. And that brings me to the first point on your outline. If you're taking notes, there's a blank there to fill in. Here's the first one. Humility is a personal choice. Humility is a personal choice. You see, at some point, we have to come to a place where we're going to make a decision. Is it going to be all about me? Or is it going to be all about God? Humility is a personal choice. And that's what he's talking about. Here's the choice. Humble yourself. Clothe yourself with humility. Become a person that God can use by doing that. Or live life in your own strength, your own determination, your own pride, and become someone that God never uses. Because Peter says something very interesting in verse 5. He's actually quoting the Old Testament when he says it. But look at verse 5 again. He says, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility... And not just trying to be falsely humble, but clothe yourselves in humility toward one another in the way that you relate to other people. Alright? So you're clothing yourself, you're you're trying to live in humility in the way that you relate to one another. And then he says, because, notice this because. Here's the reason you need to clothe yourself in humility. Because, verse 5, and here he quotes from the Old Testament, the book of Proverbs, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Clothe yourselves in humility, and here's the reason. Because God, and this is so interesting, God actively opposes the proud. But He actively gives grace to the humble. So, listen again to that for a few minutes, because this is so interesting. Peter is actually quoting Proverbs 3.34, if you want to write that down. In the right-hand side of your note sheet there, I gave you a place to write down cross-references. You might want to write down Proverbs 3.34. That's actually the verse Peter is is referring to in verse 5. But throughout the Bible, both in the Old and the New Testaments, we see how much God values humility. Both in the Old and New Testament, uh, the Bible again and again shows us how much God values humility and how much God opposes pride. Let me show you three examples. And again, you might want to write these references down in the right-hand column. Uh, I want you to find uh, Psalm 138 real quickly. Psalm 138. Psalm 138, verse 6. Though the Lord is on high, He looks upon the lowly. That is, He looks upon them to to help them or to bless them. Though the Lord is on high, He looks upon the lowly or those that are humble, that's what we would say. But the proud, He knows from afar. But the proud, He knows from afar. That's one example from the Old Testament. Let me show you another example. Write down this reference. Matthew 23, verse 12. Matthew 23, verse 12. For who, this is Jesus speaking. 
And he says, for whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. You see, Jesus made the deliberate teaching here, or he made the, the, the deliberate point, that humility is a personal choice. And it has a corresponding um, blessing to it. Humility, if you, exalt, if you exalt yourself, you're going to be humbled. But if you humble yourself, the Bible says you're going to be exalted. Uh, now, finally, one other one, if you want to write down this reference. James chapter 4. James chapter 4. A verse that sounds a lot like our first Peter reference. James chapter 4, verse 6. But he gives us more grace, and that's why Scripture says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, let's think about this idea that God is actively opposing the proud, and He's actively giving grace to the humble. What that verse is really showing you and I is that you can actually position yourself to be blessed by God. You can position your life to be blessed by God by humbling yourself. God gives grace to the humble. And conversely, you can actually put your life in a situation where God is opposing the way you're living your life. Because it says He opposes the proud. So if I could summarize it this way before we move on. Humility allows God to put His hand of blessing on you. Watch this, watch this. Humility allows God to put His hand of blessing on you. Pride causes God to remove it. Whenever God sees pride take root in your life, God removes His hand of blessing. Now, let me ask you a question. Talk to me for a moment. Why is God so opposed to pride? Talk to me. Why is God so opposed to pride? Say it again, Greg. That was Satan's sin in Genesis. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Any other answers? Yeah, it... it yeah, pride really causes us to turn away from God and trust more in ourselves. I, I don't have a chapter or verse for you, but basically my definition would be this. Pride is the root of all sin. Really it's the root, the bitter root of all sin. Um, so humility is a choice. Second thing I want you to see as we look at this text Humility is an act of trust. Now we move to verse 6. Verse 6 shows us humility is an act of trust. If you want to fill in the blank there on your note sheet. Now look what he says in verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that He may lift you up in due time. Humility is an act of trust. Humble yourselves, it says, under God's mighty hand. Now, in, in the Old Testament, God's hand was a metaphor for God's power. In fact, it says here in the New Testament, God's mighty hand. It's a metaphor for the power of God. And often, the power of God was displayed in times of discipline and in times of deliverance. 
It was the mighty hand of God that brought deliverance. It was the mighty hand of God that brought justice or judgment. Let me show you one example. Uh, Go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 26. Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 26 says this. I prayed to the Lord and said, O sovereign Lord, do not destroy your people, your own inheritance that you redeemed by your great power and brought out of Egypt with, your, with a mighty hand. You brought your people out of Egypt, the writer says. Moses said, you brought the, your people out of Egypt with your mighty hand. Talking about the power, the strength of God. And so when we understand this concept, we go back to verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand. Why? That He may lift you up in due time. Now, one of the keys to this verse is that phrase, in due time. You might want to mark that on your notes or in your Bible. Uh, The New American Standard says, in the proper time. That He will lift you up in the proper time. Uh, Another translation, the Living Bible says, in His good time, He will lift you up. Uh, God is able and willing to respond to your need, but it's going to be in due time. In His time, not in your time. How many would prefer to be in your time? I would. I mean, I've got my agenda, I've got my goals, I've got my plans, and I've got my needs, and I would appreciate it if you could do it in my time. But that's not what the verse says. It says, here, here's your role. Watch this. Your role is to humble yourself under God's mighty hand. To acknowledge that you don't have the answer. To acknowledge that you don't have the power. To acknowledge that you don't have the answer. And so you're going to humble yourself and put your faith in Him. And you're going to put your life under His mighty hand. And the Bible says, when He sees you do that, He will lift you up. When? (laughs) In due time. In due time. Uh, The perfect example of this is, is Jesus Himself. And I know you, you've seen the Scripture, you know the Scripture, but man, it's such a good Scripture. We need to read it again, or at least write down the reference in your note sheet. Philippians chapter 2. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. This is talking about the humility of Jesus when He left heaven. And came to earth. And we're not going to read the whole passage. But in verses 8 and 9, it describes His humility this way. Perfect example of putting yourself under God's mighty hand and letting Him lift you up in due time. Verse 8 and 9. <clears throat> 8 and 9. And being found in appearance as a man, He humbled Himself. Mark that in your Bible. He humbled Himself. Remember, I told you earlier, humility is a choice. He humbled Himself. Just like Peter says, clothe yourselves in humility. And being found in appearance as a man, He humbled Himself, and watch this, and became obedient to death. Even death on a cross. Therefore, 
Because, look up here for a moment, because He humbled Himself under God's mighty hand. In due time, here's what God did. Therefore, God exalted Him to the highest place and gave Him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You can't find a better example than that one in the Bible, in my estimation, of what it means to humble yourself and how, when you do that, God exalts you in due time. Now, I would just make this as... As a way of application, we're going to move on in a second. Uh, as a way of application, I, maybe some of you just need to, if you're struggling right now with this whole concept, you need to get a 3 by 5 card and write three words on it and put it on your refrigerator. On that 3 by 5 card, write the words, in due time. Just let that be a reminder to you. In due time. Let it be a reminder that it is in His time, not in yours. Um, Lanier Burns, I, I think I put this on your notes, Lanier Burns, a quote, uh, it says, at the most basic level, the Bible defines humility as God-centeredness and pride as self-centeredness. Is that on your notes? Okay. At the most basic level, the Bible de- defines humility as God-centeredness and pride as self-centeredness. Now, Jesus talks about the, this tension between pride and humility. This is such an important aspect in walking with God that, that Jesus talked about this tension between pride and humility. Let me show you this in Scripture. Go with me to uh, Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23. And look for verse 12. Matthew 23, verse 12. <clears throat> for whoever exalts himself, you try to make, you know, you try to, uh, you're, you're filled with pride. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Do you believe God knows how to humble people? Oh, you can just read through the Bible and find story after story. God knows how to humble people, He's able to humble. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Those are the words of Jesus. Here's what I would say to you. It's never a bad idea to bow down in humility before God. You never lose when you bow down in humility. God. This is so important. Now, let me ask you before we move out of this section on pride. uh, We're talking about pride as if it is a negative thing, and it is in most cases. But is there such a thing as good pride? You're shaking your head, yes. Give me an example of, of we would say, there's nothing wrong with this kind of pride, or or, this is really kind of good pride. How, How would you describe good pride? Yeah, exactly. 
uh, an accomplishment of a, of a child or, or a grandchild. And, and you know, you're, you're proud as a parent. You're proud as a grandparent. There's nothing wrong with that kind of pride. So I want to make sure I, I draw a distinction here, okay? There's nothing wrong with that kind of a pride that, that you're, because that's really more joy over what they've done, what they've accomplished uh, than, than anything else. Uh, another example of, of maybe we would call it a good pride, is you've set a goal and, and you've worked hard and you've accomplished that goal. And you have pride, not, not, a, not a bad kind of a pride, but just pride that you've accomplished this. It's, it's a self-worth kind of a thing. And you've accomplished something that you've worked for. Uh, there's self-respect there. Now, bad pride, how, how do we discern good pride from bad pride? This is not biblical. This is just more of a practical thing that I want to make sure that we talk about. Bad pride really is, is more the sin of arrogance. It, it's, it's more about conceit. It's the feeling of superiority. Uh, I can give you three words that I think summarizes bad pride. One would be self-sufficiency. I'm so proud about my accomplishment. It's self-sufficiency. A second word would be self-importance. Self-importance. Just look who I am. Look at my title. Look at what I've accomplished. And, and then self-exaltation. It's this idea that you just love to brag about what you have or what you've done. <clears throat> and so going back to First Peter, before we move to the word anxiety, I want to read with you that text again. The Bible says you should have an attitude of humility toward one another. This is how important it is. Verse 5. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. And verse 6 says you also should have a humility toward God. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand. So, really, if, if you're struggling in an area with pride whether it's pride directed toward others or, or even a pride where you're basically saying to God, I really, I don't need you. I, I got this, you know. Uh, there's such self-sufficiency in your life. Be careful because God opposes the proud. But He gives grace to the humble. Now, the second topic, if you will, that Peter addresses after he talks about pride, and these are very much related they are interlocked, if you will. But the second topic that he talks about, that he deals with, is the topic of anxiety. It's found in the very next verse, verse 7. Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Now, if your Bible has paragraphs, which I'm probably most, if not all of them do, would you notice that verses 5, 6, and 7 form a paragraph? That verse 7 is part of the paragraph, right? And here's my reason for saying that. The, this discussion about anxiety is directly related to this discussion about pride and humility. That it's all part of the same paragraph. Well, what does he tell us about anxiety? He says, Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. You know, I think sometimes we, we uh, uh, declare that we trust God, but it's all in the abstract. And what I mean by that is, you know, we, we trust Him, we say we trust Him, but, but it's all kind of an abstract concept. 
but when you have a real problem in life. Sometimes it's harder to trust Him with that. And that's where anxiety begins to bloom. Because we really aren't trusting Him. But this text indicates we need to trust Him specifically with what we're facing. And, and so he says in verse 7, and get ready to mark your Bible if you will, <clears throat> cast all your anxiety on Him. Would you mark, underline, circle, highlight, however you like to do it, the word all in verse 7. Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Now help me for a moment. Uh, discuss with me or define for me, if you will, the word anxiety. How would you define it? Say it again. Okay. Somebody else. Worried about something that could happen. Fear. The word, when you, when you look at it in the original language, it literally means to be ripped apart or pulled apart. Uh, it is fear. It is uh, concern or worry. It, all of that's tied up in that. It's it's. Well, watch this. Hope and faith are pulling in one direction. You're hoping God's going to come through. You're trying to have faith that God will come through. The, hope and faith are pulling in one direction, but fear and panic are pulling in the other direction. That's anxiety. I hope God will do it. I need God to do it. And hope and faith is trying really hard to hang on. But fear and panic are pulling in the opposite direction. And it gets to the point sometimes where it's really interfering with your daily life. It means to have a battle. The word means you're having a battle inside that's kind of pulling you apart. Um, so, here's, let's talk about it. First of all, uh, this is not on your notes, but first of all, let me remind you, it doesn't say shame on you if you have anxiety. It doesn't say that. What it does say is, if you do have anxiety, here's what you can do with it. See, there's a big difference there, right? This is not God saying shame, shame, shame. This is God saying, let me tell you how to handle it. The Bible is acknowledging that there are times when we struggle with anxiety. We all do. Some more than others. But there are times when, when you become fearful or, or anxious uh, about what might happen. What, what might uh, occur. And, or what you might not be able to do. And panic and fear begin to take over. And you're kind of pulled apart inside and... The Bible says you should never feel... The, the Bible does not say, don't feel that way. No. The Bible says when you do feel that way, here's what you do with it. So, let's look at that. Because it's only one verse, but man, there's a lot in this verse. Here's what he says. Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. So, here's the point. I, I, you got a, a note right there to fill in the blank. Here's the point. We don't have to be anxious people. That's what I want you to get. That's what I want you to understand. We don't have to be anxious people. Anxiety is a part of our world, but it doesn't have to be a part of your life. Do you hear that? Anxiety is a part of our world, but it doesn't have to be part of your life. There's a method, there's a way that you can get rid of the worries and the anxieties that you may have. And by the way, uh, let's just be honest, we are living in some anxious times. 
unlike anything we've ever seen. Uh, whether it's food supply or what's happening politically or, uh, you know, you, you can just make a whole list of uh, the moral decay. Just make a whole list of everything. And when you get it all on the list, you're going to be worried sick. Right? Because, well, what about this? And what about that? And uh, so we're not sticking our heads in the sand and saying, oh, everything's great. No, that's not what we're doing. God never calls the Christian to stick his or her head in the sand and act like everything's great. God says, but if you do have anxious times, you don't have to be an anxious person. Here's how you handle it. Here's a method. Uh, You see, feeling anxious is not bad. Staying anxious is the problem. And so he uses this word cast. And uh, it's right there in verse 7, the very first word in verse 7. It only occurs, if you want to write this down, it only occurs seven times in the New Testament. It's kind of a unique word cast. It only occurs seven times in the whole New Testament. But in Luke 19 verse 35, there's a great kind of a word picture to help us understand what that word cast is really all about. Uh, We won't read that text, but I'll tell you what the text says. In Luke 19, it's the story of Jesus coming into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, and the disciples uh, uh, have gotten a donkey for him to ride on, and the Bible says that that they took their cloaks, their, their coats rather, they took their coats, and watch this, in verse 35 it says they took their coats and they cast them on the donkey. That's one of the places that word is used in the, in the New Testament. They took their coats and they cast them on the donkey. In other words, here's the word picture. If you don't want to carry, you, you don't want to wear this coat, you can cast it on the donkey and now the donkey's carrying it. Right? It's not yours anymore. The donkey's carrying it for you. And that's the word picture that Peter uses. He says, cast, cast all your concerns, all your worries on God because He cares for you. So, can we talk about that for a moment? Um, Psalm 55, verse 22. Somebody look that up and read it for me. Psalm 55, verse 22. There's a promise in Psalm 55, verse 22. And I want you to hear it. Somebody read it out loud. Somebody's not going to do it. Anybody do it. Thank you, Miriam. Cast. There's that word. Now it's in the Hebrew. Cast your cares on the Lord. And here's the promise. And He will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. Well, that is an amazing promise. So practically, how do we cast? We're almost out of time. Practically, how do we cast our anxieties on God? It says there in the text, verse 7, cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Let me give you two practical things to do. Uh, the first one uh, is one that you would expect me to say probably, but we need to say it anyway. Pray more than you worry. Practically speaking, if you want to cast your anxiety on the Lord, pray more than you worry. Uh, again, I'm not saying you will never worry, but you can pray more than you worry. And that's exactly what the uh, Scripture teaches us in Philippians chapter 4, that well-known text. 
uh, Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And when you do that, verse 7, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So pray more than you worry. Invite God into your struggles. Do not let anxiety dominate your life. Let me say that again. Do not let anxiety dominate your life. Invite God into your struggle. You've got to pray more than you worry. Let me give you another scripture. Write it down in the right-hand column there. Psalm 94, verse 19. I'll read it to you. Psalm 94, verse 19. This is such an important verse. It says, especially if you have anxiety problems. Here's the verse. When anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought joy to my soul. The psalmist was very honest to say, "There, there, there are days when anxiety has been great within me. It's been a problem for me. It... Anxiety has taken over, but when anxiety, this was his testimony, when anxiety was great within me, your consolation, God, your consolation brought great joy to my soul. So, pray more than you worry. And then the second one, I really like this next one, is, and it's going to come straight out of the text, but number two is this, believe that you matter to God. You see, the text says, verse 7, cast all your anxiety on Him. And then there's a because. Because He cares for you. He cares for you. That means He cares about you. He cares about what you're going through. It means you matter to God. And watch this. You can trust those things you're anxious about, to His hands because He cares for you. J.B. Phillips translates that verse this way. You are His personal concern. The choice is ours. We can either live with mistrust and anxiety or we can trust the Lord to watch over us, believing in our hearts that He really does care for us. Now, there may still be some hard days. There may still be some anxious nights, but you have to remind yourself the bottom line, He cares for me. He cares for me. I'll give you one final scripture before we leave. Psalm 54 verse 4. I'm going to quote it for you. Psalm 54 verse 4 says this, Surely God is my help. The Lord is the one who sustains me. Surely, God is my help. The Lord is the one who sustains us. We live in anxious times, but we don't have to be anxious people. Pray more than you worry, and believe that you matter to God. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this timely word and this practical word, and for some, maybe this very personal word. Thank you that you've given us hope and you've given us help. Now may we live by Your Spirit and by Your Word for Your glory. And may You help us trust in You and trust in Your mighty hand that You indeed will lift us up in due time. 
And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for being here.